Good morning. It is really good to be with you today. Um, you may look around and see that some familiar faces are not with us this morning. Don't panic. Everything's okay. Um, it's not like all of our seniors suddenly disappeared. There is a senior luncheon after our second service, so most of our seniors will be at the second service so that they can be a part of that luncheon. And I just want to thank uh, the youth ministry for honoring our seniors in this way. They're such an important part of our congregation. It's wonderful that we have this annual tradition where we're able to honor our seniors, and I feel better about that all the time because I'm almost one of them. So we're almost there. So now that I'm a grandparent, I guess maybe I do qualify. I don't know. So uh, if you see our seniors today um, in class or after service or anything like that, please let them know how much that we do appreciate them, that how blessed we are to have them a part of this congregation. This would not be the same place that it is without them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, we, we on this day when people's thoughts turn to, to Valentine's and to, to love and to outward expressions of the emotions that we feel for each other, Father, help us to be people who show our love for our brothers and sisters and who show our love for those who are in need around us. Father, help us to be people who don't just speak of our love with our lips, but show our love to others with our actions. And Father, help the, the beginning point, the, the root of that to be in our love for you. And Father, we do love you. And we know that you first loved us. And Father, as we gathered around the table and as we remembered Jesus Father, there's no greater expression of the love that you have for us than the fact that you sent Jesus to die for us. And Father, we are deeply humbled by that. So Father, help us to to sing your story, not only with our lips, but with our actions. And Father, we pray this through Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So if you're visiting with us the, for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time, we want to let you know about some exciting things that are going on here at Netherwood Park. As the new year began, we introduced our new theme. Our theme is Equipped to Serve. It's a theme that expresses our collective desire to be a grown-up and built-up body and a unified body of Christ here at Netherwood Park. It's a theme that recognizes that the way that we build up the body is by equipping each member of the body to do its work of service for the benefit of the entire body. So in 2016, we're focusing on being equipped to serve, and we're focusing on equipping each other to serve And one of the things that we are recognizing is that it's God's word. We're affirming that the Bible must be central to all of our efforts to be equipped and to equip. So one of the things that we have done is we've taken on a challenge. We're calling it Project 6K. And with Project 6K, we are challenging the body of believers here at Netherwood Park to to read at least 6,000 books of the Bible in 2016. And for those of us who took on the 90-day challenge at the beginning of the year, who on January 1st decided that we were going to read the Bible through in 90 days, today is a big day. Because today is what? It's the 45th day, halfway through the 90-day challenge. We're halfway home. Today, those who are doing the 90-day challenge are finishing with the book of Psalms and we're moving into Proverbs. 
And as you pick up your Bible and realize that you're a little over halfway through, the challenge doesn't seem all that daunting anymore. It seems something very possible for us to do. So for those of you who are finishing Psalms and moving into Proverbs, let me just say, good job. You're well on your way. So you may be wondering, how are we doing working towards our 6K goal? I want you to know we're doing great. So far, we have read 1,028 books of the Bible, and we're still in February. So we're well ahead of the pace that we need to get to 6,000. So again, for all of you who are participating, and I know most of you are participating, let me again say, good job. Well, we're in the third week of a sermon series that we're calling It Doesn't Matter. It Doesn't Matter. Over several weeks, we're going to confront several common objections that we often have to answering God's call to service. We started this series with the story of Moses' call to service. And we learned that when it comes to answering God's call to service, it doesn't matter who you are. What matters is who your God is. Then last week, we explored Peter's call to be the rock of God's new church. And we saw that it doesn't matter that you failed in the past if you'll only lift your eyes from your sorrow at your failure and run to Jesus for your restoration. And this week, instead of looking at the story of one individual and one individual's call to serve, we're going to spend time with a parable that illustrates the call to service that's given to every single follower of Jesus Christ. And today we'll see that when it comes to service, it doesn't matter that you aren't the obvious choice to serve. So who am I talking to this morning in this lesson? Well, since we'll be talking about a call to service that's been given to every single one of us, obviously I'm going to be talking to all of us, to everyone who's here. But there are a couple of groups that I hope will really pay special attention to what we're talking about today. Because there are specific lessons in today's message for those two groups. The first group that I hope will listen carefully because there are specific lessons in today's message for them is the group that believes that the presence of more qualified people, more qualified people to serve exempts them from service. If you ever find yourself thinking or saying things like this, I don't need to help with that because there are people who are better qualified to do that. Or I don't need to do that because there are people who are better at that than I am. Or I don't need to help out with that because there are people here who have more experience with that than I do. Or I don't need to help out with that because there are people here who have more time to do that than I do. If you ever find yourself thinking or saying those kind of things, I hope you'll pay special attention this morning. If any of that rings true to you, and I want you to know it rings true to me, please listen up. There are important lessons for you in today's message. But there's also a second group that I want to make sure really focuses on today's message. And that's those of us who believe that our convenience trumps other people's needs. Believe that our convenience trumps other people's needs. So if you ever find yourself thinking or saying things like this, I can't help with that because that's way out of my comfort zone. Or I can't help with that because helping with that might make me late. 
or I can't help with that because helping with that might cost me some money. If any of that rings true to you, and it certainly rings true to me, please listen up. Because there are important lessons in today's message for you as well. See, we'll see that the call to service comes from a focus on others and not a focus on ourselves. So today's lesson won't be focusing on a great call to lead God's people out of Egypt. It won't be focusing on a great call to be the rock of God's new church. Instead, it'll be focused on a call that in some ways might be even more difficult than Moses' call. Might be even more challenging than Peter's call. And that's our daily call to serve and serve our neighbors. We've lived long enough to know that that's a challenging call. We know that that's a call that we struggle to answer. But we also know that answering that call plants us firmly in the steps of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Puts us in his steps. So today we'll be in Luke chapter 10, if you want to turn to that place in the Bible. Luke chapter 10, and our story starts in verse 25. I think most of us know the setup to this parable In fact, we read it together just a few minutes ago. We know that one of the experts in the law, this is a man who knew the scripture inside and out. This is a man who had not only read Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, not only had read them, this was a man who would have those books memorized. Those of you who are doing the reading challenge, can you imagine that? Not only reading through those five books, but memorizing those five books, this man would have done that. He knew the scripture inside and out, and he was confident in his knowledge, confident enough that he would actually stand up and he would test Jesus by asking a question. And it seems like an innocent question, a straightforward question. He looks at Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? As Jesus usually does, he doesn't play along with the games that the man is wanting to play, whatever tricks he's hoping to pull. So Jesus replies, and I'm going to paraphrase very significantly here. He kind of looks at him and is like, seriously? You're an expert in the law? You know the law. What do you say the law says? So the expert pulls a little scripture out of Deuteronomy He pulls a little scripture out of Leviticus, and he answers Jesus this way. I'm in verse 27. He says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and love the Lord your God with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Jesus listened to this reply, and he said, you have answered correctly. And then he says, do this. If you'll do this, if you'll love the Lord your God and do that with all your heart. If you love the Lord your God and you'll do that with all your soul. If you'll love the Lord your God and you'll do it with all your strength. And if you'll love the Lord your God and you'll do it with all your mind. And if you will love your neighbor as yourself, you will have eternal life. You will live. It's a fairly straightforward answer. It's a straightforward answer to a straightforward question, but the expert really wasn't looking for straightforward. That's not how you trap people. That's not how you trick people. So the expert in the law 
ask a follow-up question. It's a not-so-straightforward question. It's a question that doesn't have a memorized answer, a rote answer. And this is when the story really gets interesting. In verse 29, the expert in the law says, And who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus tells this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes, and they beat him, and they went away, and they left him half dead. It's a horrible situation. An innocent man is going about his business. He's robbed of everything, including his clothes. He's severely beaten, and he's left half dead. And if help doesn't arrive soon... He's likely going to move from half dead to all dead. Well, we know since Jesus is telling a neighbor story, what we know is that this man desperately needs a neighbor. And so our question is, who is going to be that neighbor? And in the story, right on cue, coming down the road, appears obvious neighbor number one. And shortly behind him comes obvious neighbor number two. They're the obvious choices. It's obvious servant choice number one and obvious servant choice number two coming down the road. Verse 31, we read, A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, that's a surprise, isn't it? It's a big surprise. The two obvious choices to provide help, the two obvious choices to serve, the two obvious choices to be a neighbor, two obvious choices, and neither one even stops. And before we ask why they didn't stop, let's first ask why they were the obvious choices to help, the obvious choices to stop. Well, they were the obvious choices to help because they had obvious qualifications. In fact, their qualifications sound a lot like the qualifications of the expert in the law who started this whole conversation with Jesus in the first place. The priest and the Levite both had all kinds of knowledge. They too would have known scripture inside and out. They too would have had Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy memorized. They too could have rattled off the answer to what was needed to inherit eternal life. They could have rattled off, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. They had all kinds of knowledge. And not only did they have knowledge, they also had influence. They knew people and people knew them and they could get things done. And these were men who had experience getting things done. They had experience ministering to people. See, for us, this would be like having the preacher and one of the deacons passing by on the road. These were people who were experienced in service. And not only did they have knowledge, and not only did they have influence, and not only did they have experience, they had resources. These weren't poor men. These weren't destitute men. 
These were people who had access to what the beaten man needed. They had access to food. They had access to clothing. They had access to shelter. They had access to medical care. And perhaps what's most striking, the priest and the Levite were obvious choices to help because they were religious. They weren't just religious. They were professionally religious. They were on staff, if you will. They had business cards. Their names were on the front of the bulletin. They were professionally religious. That made them obvious choices to be neighbors. Made them to be the obvious choices to be servants. They were obvious choices because they were a lot like that man, the expert in the law who started this conversation by asking the neighbor question. But they were also the obvious choices because they were a lot like me. They're the obvious choices because they're a lot like most of us who are here today. Like us, they were knowledgeable. Like us, they were influential. Like us, they were experienced. Like us, they were resourceful. Like us, they were religious. So I think we have to ask now this obvious question. Why didn't the obvious choices to be neighbors stop and be neighbors? Why did the obvious choices to serve the beaten man's needs just pass by? I think the answer is really fairly simple. The men passed by because they did the math. They didn't stop because they they did the math. They counted the cost of serving. You know, psychologists tells us, tell us that uh, many of our decisions are really made based on just three factors. Just three different factors. Number one is comfort. Number two is convenience. And number three is cost. The three C's of decision making. That sounds about right to me. Does it to you? Decisions based on comfort and convenience and cost. How comfortable am I doing that? How convenient is it for me to do that? And how much is it going to cost me to do that? And we're used to doing that. We're used to doing the math and then making our decisions. And these two obvious neighbor choices did the math and decided that serving was going to be uncomfortable. And they decided that serving was going to be inconvenient. And they decided that serving was probably going to be expensive. It was going to be costly. They did the math. Probably mentally went something like this. I'll probably have to put him on my donkey, and then I'll have to walk the rest of the way to Jericho. Or maybe I probably won't be able to go straight home I'll probably be late for dinner or maybe you know I'm probably going to be asked all kinds of questions about this and I really don't know what's going on I'll probably have to use some of my oil I'll probably have to use some of my wine and I'll probably have to reach in my own pocket they did the math they decided it was too uncomfortable they decided it was too inconvenient They decided it was too expensive. So even though they were the obvious choices to stop, they didn't stop. 
which of course leaves our poor man still laying beside the road half dead. But there's still hope because the story isn't over and there's another man who's coming down the road. But unfortunately, this man is one of the least obvious choices to be a neighbor to the beaten man who's laying beside the road. We take up the story in verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds. And he poured oil and wine on him. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. That's an even bigger surprise in our story. After two obvious choices to be a neighbor don't stop, one of the least obvious choices to be a neighbor does stop. And he does help. And he does serve. And before we ask the question, why did the Samaritan stop? Let's first ask the question of why he was such an unlikely candidate to be a neighbor. He's an unlikely candidate to be a neighbor because he has such obvious disqualifications. For us at this time, it's really difficult for us to grasp just how much the Jews hated the Samaritans. Especially the religious Jews. Especially the Jews like the man who started this whole neighbor conversation. The hatred was based on things like racial prejudice. These are not Abraham's children, and they have no right to be living in the promised land. And the hatred is based on religious grounds. These people don't worship in the right way, and they don't worship in the right places, and they lay claim to Scripture that doesn't belong to them. And that prejudice and that hatred left the Samaritans with no status within Jewish communities. I guess that's not exactly true. They had status within Jewish communities, but that status was as dogs. That's what they were commonly referred to among the Jews, the dogs. See, if Jesus had told this story and he had said, but a a dog as he traveled down the road, this Jewish audience that was around him, they would have immediately known that Jesus was talking about a Samaritan walking around down the road. See, the, the Samaritan was the Least obvious choice to be a neighbor. He's the least obvious choice because his race would seem to disqualify him. Because his religion would seem to disqualify him. And certainly his status within Jewish society would seem to disqualify him as someone who could be a neighbor, a servant to the injured man. And he also could have disqualified himself. He could have disqualified himself simply by saying... You know, those qualified people, they had a chance to serve and they chose to walk on by. And if a priest and a Levite didn't see fit to stop, who am I to stop? Who am I to step in? If the preacher and the deacon didn't see fit to help, then why would I help? But he didn't disqualify himself. Instead, he did stop and he did help. So why didn't the Samaritan act like those obvious choices act? Why didn't he pass the beaten man by? 
Well, he stopped. And the reason he stopped is because he also did the math. But he did a different kind of math. Today we might call it the new math. See, the Samaritan, I should quit calling him Samaritan, the the servant, the neighbor, the neighbor's math equation wasn't about his comfort. Now, his math equation was about it was about the man who was beaten. It was about his needs. It wasn't about comfort. It wasn't about convenience. It wasn't about cost. In fact, his calculations weren't about him at all. See, the neighbor didn't count the cost to himself. Instead, he counted the need of his neighbor, the need of his neighbor beside the road. His math went something like that. This, my neighbor is laying here naked. My neighbor is laying here injured. My neighbor is laying here destitute. And because his neighbor was in need and because he had mercy on him, this unlikely choice to serve was prepared to be uncomfortable. He was prepared to be inconvenienced. He was prepared to pay the cost. He was prepared to be a neighbor. So at the end of the story, we see Jesus ask one last question. He looks at the religious man, the expert in the law, and he said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? None of us have to have this answer memorized We know the answer every bit as well as the expert in the law. We know it's the unlikely one. We know the neighbor is the one who had mercy on him. We know that, don't we? And we also know that Jesus is really speaking to us when he says, then go and do likewise. Go and be a neighbor. Go and be like the unlikely choice. So we have decisions to make. We have to decide what lens we're going to wear as we look at the world around us and as we look at the people who are around us. Are we going to wear the lens of the obvious choices, the lens of the priest and the Levite? Or are we going to wear the lens of the least obvious choice, the lens of the Samaritan? Are we going to wear the lens of the neighbor? Are we going to wear the lens of the new math? Are we going to make our decisions based on our convenience? Are we going to make our decisions based on other people's needs? Are we going to make our decisions to serve based on our comfort? Are we going to make our decisions based on other people's needs? Are we going to make our decisions to serve based on our costs? Are we going to make those decisions based on other people's needs? Are we going to look to be served? Or are we going to instead look to serve? Serve those who are in need. I don't know about for you, but for me, these are uncomfortable questions. They're tough questions for me. They're challenging questions for me. They're convicting questions for me. 
Because when I look back at my life, when I look at my actions, I know that I often do the math and I choose to pass on by. We're getting close to the end and you'll remember that early on I said that there are really two groups here today that I hoped would pay special attention to this message. And I want you to know that I'm a member of both of those groups. I'm a part of the group that often doesn't serve because I don't think that I'm the obvious choice to serve. Those of us in that group, we don't think that we're the obvious choice because there are others who are more qualified to do that job, do that work, do that service who are around us who should serve, who could serve. To those of us who are in that group, let me just say this. If we see a need, if we see a need in our neighbor, and if we have the ability to help meet that need, we need to understand that we are God's obvious choice to help. We have to believe that God has brought that need and he has brought us together, us as his servants together, so that we can meet that need. We have to believe that we are God's obvious choice to serve. But I also want you to know that I'm part of the group who often doesn't serve because my convenience often trumps other people's needs. I'm a part of the group that often doesn't serve our neighbor because serving is going to be uncomfortable. Serving is going to be inconvenient. Serving is going to be costly. And to those of us in that group, here's what Jesus, I think, would say to us with our concerns. I think he'd say, you know, right, you're right. It is. Following in my steps, following in my servant steps, it is going to be uncomfortable. It is going to be inconvenient. It is going to be costly. And Jesus says that's why you should first count the cost. You shouldn't be doing the math when you see that neighbor who is in need. You should have done the math when you first answered my call to a life of service. Because my call was to a life of being a neighbor. My call was to a life of serving instead of being served. And that's quite a call, isn't it? And who is Jesus to give us that kind of call? A call to a life of discomfort, a a call to a life of inconvenience, a a call to a life of, of costly service. Who is Jesus to make that kind of call, that kind of demand on us? Well, the reason that Jesus can make that call and does make that call, and the reason that Jesus can make that demand and does make that demand, and the reason we answer that call, and the reason we answer that demand is because of what he has done for us. You see, not only are we often not the obvious choice to serve others, we need to remember that we weren't the obvious choices to be served. Certainly not the obvious choices to be served by Jesus. Not the obvious choices to be served by the Son of God, by the Savior, by the Lord Messiah. But he chose to serve us. He chose to serve us while we were laying helpless by the road. While we were dead in our sins. 
Jesus left the comforts of heaven. Jesus took on the inconvenience of these human bodies. Jesus paid the cost with his life so that we could live. And that's why he calls on us to sing his wondrous story. He calls on us to sing his wondrous story with our lips for sure. But more importantly, he calls on us to do that by living our lives in service of our neighbors. And that's how we sing his story. That's how people know who we are and know who our Lord and Master Jesus Christ is by how we serve. John 13, 34, Jesus said, Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And he says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So what we're going to do as we end, we're, we're going to sing God's wondrous story. We're going to sing the wondrous story of Jesus Christ. We're going to stand up and we're going to do that together. We're going to do it with our lips. But that's not my primary concern this morning. My call to you is Jesus' call. It's not to just sing his story with your lips, but to walk out of this building today and walk down the road and live his story. Sing his story by living his story as a neighbor, as a servant neighbor to those who are in need. Won't you answer that call as we do stand and we do sing about his wondrous story. Let's sing together. Sing.